Hello and welcome to the Extreme Cinema Podcast with me, Alexander Sternberg and Dom Loach. How you been, Dom? I am great, Sterney. How are you? I I am good. Uh, so, what did we watch today? Oh, we watched The Devils. What a... <sighs> I just love France, right? So this is... <laughs> French so why history. not watch an incredibly <laughs> cynical British portrayal of France? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, the first question I want to ask about this film before we get into the context and everything is, maybe with the exception of Raw, is this the best film we've watched? Oh, probably, easily, yeah. It's such an up-my-street film anyway, so... I, I explain this film to anybody who even slightly knows me, and they'll be like, Dom, I love that. Like, Yeah, basically. And, I mean, it wasn't, it's sort of this absolute classic movie made by one of our most, one of Britain's most acclaimed directors, and it's still so controversial, so hard to see, so, you know, a lot of people haven't seen this. This is really one of those films... I should have seen, but I, I hadn't until this week. Yeah, same. I had never seen this before we went to do it for this, and it's a Ken Russell film, and I'd not exactly. seen it. Like... Uh, exactly. I mean, the way to make the film is to make something that really pisses off the Catholics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and this one does not hold back. It's so yeah, willfully the... provocative. Piss off the Catholics in the 70s and your film is getting highly uh, censored or just banned. Like <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, we'll get into the censorship after sort of we chat about the film, but, you know, Ken Russell is a British darling and he had, as we'll discuss, the censors generally speaking on his side, whereas so many directors didn't have that. And this was just one step, many steps, in fact, too far for them. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's... Uh... I mean, we might as well get into this film. It is yeah, it's it is fucked up. Like it's very it's very fucked up. <laughs> it's very fucked up. But I think the the primary uh thing I had with this, and it's the exact same experience I had with um Tommy Ken Russell's uh version of the Who's album. The film being frankly a lot better than the album is because the album is far <laughs> too long. Um is that I thought I was going in for some really kind of cerebral, thought-provoking, chin-scratching film. And I did, <laughs> but it's surprisingly emotionally involving as well. Like, it's not just a, ooh, how clever. It's like, oh, I'm really into the character drama in this, as well as all the weird imagery and all the ideas about religion and politics and whatnot. Yeah, very much so. Uh, it is a strong character drama in there. Like, I think... The thing that does stick in your mind the most is that striking imagery in this film. Like, it it looks unreal. It's a masterpiece. Like, the use of extras and colours, um, just magnificent. Ken Russell's just in, like, such complete command of everything on frame. Um, and the sets as well, which... Very clearly, I read Metropolis was the inspiration, but the film that stuck in my mind was obviously uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari when watching it. Ah, uh, yeah, German expressionism. German so expressionism. much on play. Yeah, like, it, it's so obvious. It really sets it apart from a lot of other period dramas. Did you see in the credits who did the, uh, who did the sets? Uh, 
Oh no, I didn't know. Derek Jarman. Oh okay. <laughs> I and that was like ooh interesting, and also this seems very up Derek Jarman Street. It's so yeah. I mean, it it's so chaotic. Everything that's on frame, like there's so much going on, especially um, later on in the film when everyone descends into hysterics, but it's sort of controlled. Like you're always, you can always tell what's happening, even though so much is happening at once. Yeah, exactly. And a lot does happen in this film. It's, it's a heavy film. Like it's like historically as well, like burdened. There's so much about it. It's not like a easy watch. And I'm, I don't mean that on an extreme side. It's not even an easy watch to, like, get your head around it all <laughs> at first. Like, Well, there's so many themes because there's obviously the kind of Jesus allegory on the one hand. And then there's all the themes surrounding religion. And then there's all the themes surrounding politics and religion. And then there's all the themes surrounding, um, you know, French society and the different you know, factions and beliefs within France at that time. And then you have how it tackles class. And it's just, you can, you can discern all of this. It's just, it's so rich. And then you have the character drama within that, which also works. Yeah, definitely. Um, Should we do the meaning of this first and then get into them? Because it might, (laughs) for this one, it might work better. We could do. Yeah. Like, because, You've got, I think, like the the first obvious layer to it is is the Jesus allegory. Is that he's um, Oliver Reed, is yeah. this rebel priest who is you know killed <laughs> for his radical priest. ideas. Yeah, and it really happened as well. Is the thing. Well, yeah, I mean the church. I I think the main idea of this is like religion as fascism, like. I'm obviously not from a Christian background, so it's sort of hard for me to say, but in the first scene when everyone's marching around with, like, crosses on these sticks, the thing that stuck in my mind was Nazi Germany. Oh, yeah, okay. I understand. And and then I was like, okay, maybe this is just... Because it's obviously a bit of a pastiche. It's a bit... It's like an over-the-top portrayal, but yeah. only slightly over-the-top, which is typical Ken Russell. But then you got to the bit where they're in like the church headquarters. It's like this massive Brazil as in Terry Gilliam's Brazil style archives. And the door has this massive cross on it. I'm like, yep, he's, he's making the connection between fascism and the swastika and, and the church. And the church. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is very like, look how, I mean, it's clearly not happy with religion. Like, like let's just put that out there. Like (laughs) (laughs) clearly not. And you know, it's not just about, an inquisition and the power of the church and the state in uh, pre-revolutionary France, which was absolutely immense. Like this is oh, not yes. at yeah. all an exaggeration. No, well, a lot of this is based on truth. Like Urbain Grandier was literally burnt at the stake after being convicted of witchcraft, like, which was just a political play. Most people think, which I love. Like it's, it's great. <laughs> I mean, at the end, um, when the Baron is speaking to um, Vanessa Redgrave, like, Ken Russell is making no bones about it. There's no, oh, maybe they believe in it. He burnt them at the stake and basically, you know, destroyed a whole city society to tear down the walls so the the stake could move in. That's the only reason they did all this. 
literally only because he could have some power. That was it. Like, like Ken Russell clearly sees religion and the church as primarily there for political power and not political power deriving from religion. Like the religion is there to conquer. And that's certainly, 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 I mean, you'd be wrong to deny that about France in the 1600s. Oh, but, well, yeah. You know, he, he's clearly saying something about British society. And, you know, we're only a few years away from the Life of Brian fiasco here. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was going to make a Life of Brian um, when we were talking about pissing off Catholics in the 70s. Like... <laughs> <laughs> That did it. There's some really great interviews of that. I mean, this literally, I mean, this pissed off Mary Whitehouse so bad. Oh, of course it did. Like, I mean, a, a film that attacks religion as a fascist ideal, I mean, it's gonna piss off some people, isn't it? Like, and it's a not even a, it's not, like you said, it's not even a subtle allegory. Like, <laughs> like it's not even a, and then you combine that with like the imagery, a lot of which is still not in the film of, you know, the rape of Christ scene where they literally, you know, have sex with a statue of Christ. Yeah. And, you know, masturbation with a Christian cross and just these, you know, non-orgy scenes when these, you know, group of repressed women have sort of told, okay, if you act like you're possessed, uh, we'll believe you're possessed and then we're not going to fucking murder you. And then they go nuts for like the whole second half of the film. It's and it's just incredibly well directed and it's it is giving you that point in a, in a not subtle way but the, it's so striking and provocative like you're watching this and being like my god this is so much to take in. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was talking about it being just heavy and not even in an extreme way. Like just been like oh my god everything that's going on here. And everything that it's implying and putting forward is absolutely huge. But 1971. Like, this did so much before any of the other films. Like it, it, it still feels a bit ahead of its time. Yeah, even now it feels ahead of its time. People who saw this in 1971 must have had a heart attack. <laughs> like, I mean, this is like before The Exorcist. That's what I was thinking. It's the um, masturbation with the crucifix. The devils did it first, Exorcist. Like, <laughs> and then on on top of the like religion, you've got all this sort of things about French society because you've got not only the tension between Oliver Reed as as the kind of moderate priest who's not portrayed as a great person by any means, <laughs> he's portrayed as a complete no. bastard. But you got him. Then you got the fanatics, and then you've got the kind of libertines as well. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. I love how everyone's just fucking horrible as well. <laughs> it's so true. Like, no one except maybe some of the nuns are, like, good people. Yeah, I know. It's just, like, Louis the Thirteenth, horrible person. Cardinal Ranillo, horrible person. Beyond belief. I, I love the scene where it's, like, just when the nuns have been told to act like they're possessed... And then the duke comes in in, like, his chaise lounge being carried by, like, naked servants. And he's like, and they, you know, the the church people, they have to respect him because of his class. But he is, like, everything they hate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's amazing. 
and, and then uh, he we just were... fucks with them with that like here's oh, the yeah. blood of christ and then it's not and then all the nuns are like well fuck it we can go berserk now well it's like it's supposed to have cured their exorcism and then he's like actually it's not so then the then they just go fucking mental anyway like <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's got such a good sense of humor this film like from it's sort of very near the beginning when he has a sword fight with a crocodile and like this is this is brilliant. This is so Ken Russell. It's very yeah. Tommy that kind of humor as well because I've not seen much Ken Russell. I've only seen this Tommy and um Lair of the White Witch Worm which I saw ages ago and I didn't really like. Tommy's yeah. a masterpiece though as is this. Yeah, Tommy's a masterpiece. This is too, yeah. And it's like it, it's that absurdist stuff that it does where it's just like but it's a point to why it's absurdist as like showing these aristocratic fucking 16th century uh, 17th century sorry french people it's amazing <laughs> and i wonder if his portrayal of 17th century french aristocrats might be saying something about british or, or upper classes oh maybe who knows <laughs> like i love the scene when you know he's just stopped them tearing down the city walls and they have to go to the king for um approval and the the papal emissary or cardinal whatever is explaining to him he's like i don't care he's just shooting like the <laughs> protestants dressed as birds yeah i know <laughs> and he's just like yes and he's trying to and the, the emissary is trying to explain like really detailed political why this is the power of the state and he does not care oh he he doesn't give a, a shit basically can we also talk about how the insult fornicator is the greatest insult of all time. It's what. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Forni- There's like a bunch, of, isn't there, of just like these non crimes. Yeah, exactly. Insulting people with. You fornicator. It's like, oh God, no. <laughs> like... I love in the trial sequence where it's like, the devil told us this. It's like, and you believe him? Yeah. And he's like, no response. I guess um, I think we should come on to to the acting a bit because Vanessa Redgrave and Oliver Reed, like, these are not B-movie actors. This is top talent. Oh, no, this is, yeah, does that Oliver Reed? Everybody has at least heard of them, even if they don't know the acts, they don't watch much old cinema, I guess. Uh, Vanessa Redgrave's in, like, every movie ever made, I think. Vanessa Redgrave's in everything that's ever been. But, like, people have heard of Oliver Reeve, even if they don't know cinema. Like, And they're both just such brave performances. Like, they they do everything. Oh, yeah. Imagine, I wanted to be on the room when they got the script for this. Like, like you're just like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do all this. I mean, Vanessa Redgrave acting crazy is just fantastic. And then Oliver Reed is not only, like, a great you know, great, very subtle performance of this very morally murky character. But, you know, at the end when he's, you know, the Jesus allegory really comes in and he's being, you know, having to walk, um, not bearing a cross, but might as well be bearing a cross um, to his execution. That is hard going. And then when he's being burned at the stake, the special effects yeah. and his performance is just, it's actually horrific. It is horrifying. Like, obviously... Watching someone burn at the stake, never great. This is this is horrifying. Like, but there's this at the end, and the historical accuracy of, yep, this is what the church was. This is what the Inquisition was. It was, you know, a 
a secret police force that would come and torture you, basically. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's so good. Like it's so good. It's, I mean, you can tell how good it is. Like it featured in Space Jam Two, Sterno. So <laughs> we gotta talk about <laughs> Space Jam Two. Yeah, the uh, the absolute irony of them being in Space Jam 2 as part of the golden Warner Brothers back catalogue along with the Droogs in fucking Space Jam 2. <laughs> and I yet had... Warners won't allow, barely allow this to be released. I had to bring it up at some point. That's such a punch in the face to people who like film or know anything about film. It's like, look what we own, the devils. Here's a... Here's a nun from the devils in Space Jam 2. We'll not really release this film, though, properly. Like, what the I've hell? Heard people st- I've heard people speculate that it was the designers having a bit of fun because they know Space Jam 2 is sort of nonsense. And one of them, like, let's put this in as a kind of reminder that Warner isn't the great company. Which is <laughs> what Space Jam 2 is. I mean, you've actually seen Space Jam 2, but isn't it about Warner Brothers being amazing? Yeah, basically, yeah. Like... <laughs> What a god! I mean, it's not like Space Jam One was good, but at least it wasn't standing for a company. <laughs> this is the extreme. I mean, it was podcast. actually Nike. Welcome to our Space Jam review. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our Space Jam review. Now let's discuss a CGI ripped Don Cheadle. Who? <laughs> <laughs> Like, what world do we live in where we, we're doing a podcast about the devils and we can talk about Space Jam 2? It just blows my mind. Like, <laughs> it's, the, it's the Warner Brothers cinematic universe. Yeah, same universe. Because, <laughs> because yes, this, this got cut by the BBFC and it only got about two minutes of cuts because Warner cut a ton of footage before. And like I mentioned, Ken Russell was sort of a darling. So when it came to A Woman in Love, which was cut due to rampant homophobia, um, they worked with him on that. And they kind of just darkened the prints for nudity and they took cuts out. You know, any other director, that scene in A Woman in Love would have been, um, which is like two supposed, I've not seen the film, so I'm just going on what I know is two sort of supposed platonic friends having a naked wrestling match. Ooh, I wonder the subtext. Um, like they were, that would have been just wholesale cut out, but because it was Ken Russell, they really worked with him. And then the BBFC got the devils and were like, nope, sorry, Ken. We can't get you out of this one. Through all we've been through, I can't get you out of this one. I can't, I can't get you out of this one, Ken. Jim! <laughs> Jim! I can't uh, believe you've committed suicide. <laughs> how could you have done this? How could you have made the devils? <laughs> Oh no, we've got oh. two off the rails. Nobody's gonna get it. <laughs> Nobody's gonna understand what we're talking about. <laughs> okay, I mean, we're gonna have to. For anybody oh, listening, we could just stop and. Yeah, just never cut. Just never talk about what we just did. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But yeah, like two two minutes. <laughs> Two, two minutes of cuts to the British release of primarily nudity and, and sexual violence. Four minutes to the American version. Um, but Warner's cut more footage out of it. Like, the Rape of Christ scene is meant to go on for two minutes, not ten seconds. Um, that's gone. Um, and they refuse to release it. There is 
a director's cut. The British cut of this is one minute and eight. One, sorry, one one hundred and eight minutes. The American cut is one hundred and four minutes. Oh wow! The director's cut is one hundred and seventeen minutes, which was screened at the BFI, but Warner refused to release it. Uh, they also refused to release it on Blu-ray, which is why there is only a DVD of the UK cut, um, which basically only ever goes for full price. Um, and they've been criticised by quite a few, uh, most notably Guillermo del Toro has really gone to town <laughs> on them for this because it's it's an actual travesty. And the fact that they're still scared to release this movie because it offends fundamentalists is just a testament to how provocative it is. Well, that's exactly what it is, isn't it? It was what? It was the Festival of Light back then. The fucking... Yep. And now Mary it's, White House. Yeah, Mary White House, Festival of Light. And now it's just crazy fundamentalist conservatives. Like... Because... This also, you need to investigate work, but it just, it has a habit of coming and going from streaming services really quickly and like random cuts of it. I mean, always the US cut, but it has a habit of like, it was on Shudder and then suddenly taken off Shudder and then it was on Criterion and suddenly taken off Criterion. Wanna just do not know what to do with this film from 1971. Jesus. Yeah. I didn't, um, weren't the extended version, weren't it found by Commode as well? Yeah, they found it while doing a documentary on it and Mark Commode introduced it at the BFI and they used the uh, editor of the film as well to put it in and the editor was like, oh, I actually know where all this footage goes in. Oh, well, that's pretty good. <laughs> so it is like a director's cut, basically. Yeah. Um, I would love a Blu-ray of this just so bad. I'm sure one day we'll get it, but that day is not anytime soon. Yeah, exactly. It shows that we, we talk a lot about the government censorship but corporations suck too. Oh, corporations suck just as much. Like, like I remember reading how uh, Disney, when they brought Warners, they were really pissed off. They had, they just had to release Jojo Rabbit because it was too late to back out of that because it it goes against their brand. So, had the script for Jojo Rabbit come in a few years later, it wouldn't have gotten made by Warners at least because not Warners by Fox. By Fox. So yeah. Disney bought Fox. Um, because. You know, that doesn't go against their brand. It goes against their brand. That's horrific. Like, imagine trying to make films. Like, Imagine all the politicking you've got to do to just try and make something. Yeah, to make something that's... I mean, Jojo Rabbit's not that insanely controversial, really, is it? Like, It's more controversial an idea than execution. It's pretty... Um, it's pretty. Sentimental yeah. than execution. It's, not, it's pretty tame, really. Like, it's not like... But God, clearly a lampoon. Can't make a comedy. Like... <laughs> can't make a comedy about a tragic event. It's not like Jews have used comedy to deal with tragedy throughout all of time, is it? For literally like always. Tete, who is Jewish? Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> it's not like Jojo Rabbit was sort of a big mainstream success and was a really heartfelt film and wasn't like, you know, it wasn't even that edgy compared to I don't know, like you know, a Mel Brooks film or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, I love Jojo Rabbit, by the way. It was an outstanding work. It's my favorite Taika Waititi. Oh, yeah, I love... Yeah, I think Jojo's really good as well. We have gone on so many tangents today. We have. I love it. I love the tangents. Like, <laughs> I think this film just does that, though, because it's it's such a, like, pivotal moment as well of, like, how much it shows where film went and how how film is handled. Like, it's such a case study. It's ridiculous. Ab- absolutely true. I mean, you could write a dissertation on the in on the 
on the censorship and the impact of the film. You could write a dissertation on the film itself. I mean, you could write a book on the film itself. I'm sure someone has written a book on the film. It's just so unbelievably, unbelievably substantive. It's like there's so much to think about when watching this film and when researching this film and just when thinking about this film. Um, I mean, I think it is one of the best films I've ever seen. I kind of want to watch it again now. Yeah, definitely. I adored it. Also, as we always talk about, Ebert hated this. Like, <laughs> oh, I didn't even look at what Ebert thought of Ebert, it. This does not surprise Ebert me. Ebert gave it zero stars. Sturdy. <laughs> he gave Cotwell Corrin zero as well, right? And I think he gave Blue Velvet like two stars. Yeah, he um, he was a very weird. Um, we always talk about Ebert. Always ends up happening. He was. It was a very weird um, critic where. Some things he could get like, some things so right and some things so wrong. Yeah, and he'd just be like, well, this is pornographic. And I'd be like, well, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> didn't you start <laughs> reviewing porn? Weren't that how he started? Like, I'm sure he was like... Well, he, he wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. I didn't know he started reviewing porn. That's very funny. I'm pretty sure that's how his career started, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's... Man, what a... I need to watch more Ken Russell. I need to see Altered States. I really need to see Altered States at this point. Oh, yeah, same. Like, it, it's supposed to be incredible. What, one more thing I want to bring up about the film, which I, I forgot to mention, is the music. It's like... There's like the, the weird sort of freeform jazz, which is kind of reminiscent of, of the score from Naked Lunch, but also like the kind of folky classical stuff, but it's all messed up. Like it sort of sounds very traditional, like kind of traditional marching music, but it's just been put through a blender yeah. and it sounds completely messed up and it just adds to like, it adds to how intense and how weird everything on screen is. <laughs> it's like they asked Nin to do a... <laughs> to do a marching band. It like, is a bit nin. Yeah. It is a bit nin it, at times. It is, yeah. Where, the way it like, sounds like it's just like you said, been put through a blender, but it, it, it adds so much to like the the weird extremity that you're seeing. You know what? You know what parts of this film reminded me of? Another film we should probably do on the podcast at some point because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, Caligula. Oh, yeah. It's very Caligula, actually. Like with all the like eccentricity on on screen not just eccentricity like i mean the, the massive like orgy sequences these oh, scenes with lavish sets and extras and whatnot but whereas in caligula whether or not once upon a time there was a real film in there it's there for exploitation at this point yeah this not an exploitation film this is a very a fantastic historical drama fantastic black comedy fantastic kind of surrealist work uh just a very engaging film and a very engaging well-written well-acted film yeah that's the thing this film has so much to say like so much to say it's not just exploitation at all like caligula was the end of the 70s wasn't it Oh, I'm not sure. I th I think so. Perhaps even the start of the 80s. Yeah, it, it was around there anyway. So, I, I mean, you can... Yep, 1979. 79. Bang on. I thought so. Oh, I'm so good. Um, <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was um, obviously this um, was a part of what they were thinking there. Like, it's, it is very Caligula now you've said it. I think, I mean, you talked about, like, earlier, like, getting the script. 
I think it just shows what respect everyone has for Ken Russell. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, he's, he's the, a legend. Like, completely. He was the, the British darling of the time. And they, you know, people, Oliver Reed, Vanessa Redgrave, they all got this script, uh, whoever funded it, Warners. And they were like, we will make this movie. Yeah, definitely. He's like... I love how he always just takes like other works and makes them his own style. Like it was so cool for doing that. Like he's so cool. I really, I gotta rewatch Tommy at this point. I came into that and I was just like expecting like you know Rocky Horror Picture Show, but you know probably a bit more substantive. And Tommy is this very emotionally resonant work, and so is this. I mean. Like, Oliver Reed's character, the way he's treating um, the women he's seeing and his sort of arrogance, like, that confession scene is just captivating cinema. And yet, you know, by the end of the film, you really like him. I mean, he is a bastard, but you don't want him to be burned at the stake, and you certainly don't want him to be burned at the stake in the name of religious fanaticism. Well, that's the thing. You might kind of hate him, but you definitely don't want him to die, and you don't want this even worse person to get power. Because he was burnt at the stake. Like, you know who... I, I, I'm not sure who the actor is, um, but the person playing his assistant, like, really fundamentalist monk with the hair. Oh, yeah. He was just so good, and he was just so scary, because, like, he's the one you got to be scared of. Like, when he's teaming up with the Baron, with the power of the stake behind them, uh, that's what you got to be worried about, and that's kind of, you know, one of the central ideas of the film. Yeah, that. I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it? At the end, like... Yeah be terrified of the church don't (laughs) don't let the church get any political power because it's there to get political power also by the way this film pissed off a ton of christians uh because the festival of light pissed off mary whitehouse was subject to censorship and still won't get released now hmm oh okay suspicious can't imagine why like i wonder if the christians were vying for power (laughs) i mean so this film just briefly get onto the his historic i mean what because i'm not too familiar with france at this time this is a couple hundred years before the revolution yeah a few hundred years yeah um i mean you can really see i know one of the major factors in the french revolution was the power of the state the church was insane yeah power of church and state yeah and that it's um obviously this is already you can see the tensions bubbling up in a way that will eventually lead to the revolution like the revolution completely come in for so long in france it was it was insane like the way that the aristocracy have power over everybody it was it was kind of inevitable when you look at the history i i that's definitely what the film showed to me because again i don't really know much about france in the 17th century but i know about the kind of some of the factors that led to the revolution and whatnot and they're all you can see them all here this sort of uncaring overbearing state this massive wealth and class divide um and yeah the the church ultimately running this sort of evil bureaucracy basically the church of persecution had such a huge planet after you know one of the main contentious points after the revolution is what what does religion play because i mean at a brief point after the revolution it was state atheism, wasn't it? Was, it was, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Alex and Dom history podcast actually yeah, would be quite a good. One. That'd be decent as well. We both did history degrees. If you, if you're wondering why we. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> we, we both have masters in history and yet we decide to spend 30 minutes talking about necromantic yeah <laughs> this is the most historical <laughs> we get talking about an extreme film that um is set in france it's 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 a historical setting <laughs> but if you're going to show show especially in a surrealist way a historical period and historical crimes like this bloody show it like ken russell well, does he's not holding back on the kind of state sanctioned sexual violence exactly that's the whole thing the past was fucked up man i know we don't want to look at it anymore but like these things happened this is not like a i mean obviously he plays it up a bit but like this crazy stuff happened like there were like you said sexual like state sanctioned things that led to people having to do horrible stuff and being burnt at the state for witchcraft and like being tortured and like it's such a i mean saulo shows it very well as well which we'll do one day i'm sure we will yeah. do I mean, people people focus on Salem. Uh, I mean, Salem is very interesting, and you've got the Crucible, obviously. But Europe had had its witchcraft. France, Spain, Germany all had horrible, horrible inquisitions and witchcraft and whatnot. The Spanish Inquisition wasn't just this one-off event. It was an inquisition. Yes. The Spanish state were like, "Hi, come here and do an inquisition." And then the, the, they had sort of secret police in Spain for centuries. Um, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. that's what happened. It was a normal thing, and it went on for thousands of years. Yeah, exactly. A, a thousand. Yeah, it was. It was just as horrible. Like it's, I, I, I kind of love how fucked up the past is. Like it's, it's so good. Like when it's, it, it's amazing when the it's Christians like lobbying against films like this. When it's like, this is your past, man. Embrace it. Like. It's it, it's completely true. It, I mean, there's obviously an unwillingness of any kind of fanatic anything to say we've ever messed up in history ever. Well, yeah, that's very true. I guess um, final thoughts on on the Devil's Dom. I mean, final thoughts is this is a incredible film. Like, like maybe the best we've talked about that and Raw are up there. Everybody should watch it. It is a hard watch. It's historical. It's extreme, but it should be viewed. Like, it's a film that should be viewed. And it should be viewed even more because this was tried to be not shown for so long that everybody should try and watch this. I absolutely echo that. And that was exactly the point I wanted to hammer home. Everyone go and watch this. This is, it's so good. It's so strange. It's got it's got a sense of humor, but it's quite dark. It's really just I think I think everyone listening will really like this film. I think people should seek it out. It's quite difficult to find at times, but goddamn, it's such a good film and it's a travesty. We can't get a director's cut on Blu-ray of this. Yeah, it's such a travesty. So um Dom what are we doing next week? By which I mean, what did we do last week as an impromptu episode and is being released next week and has kind of messed the flow up a bit of our cycle of going from kind of trash to more cerebral <laughs> works to sort of, you know, horror. What, what, what so have we got? So the thing that we've filmed already, <laughs> just to break the curtain, <laughs> is uh, Possession, which is an incredible film. And you will hear us also talk about how amazing that is. So you get, <laughs> you get us 
talking about amazing films two times in a row. You get two, well, you get one masterpiece and one near masterpiece yeah. in a row on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. You've been listening to the Extreme Cinema Podcast with Alexander Sternberg and Dom Loach. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing as it really helps us out. The original artwork for the podcast was done by George Arnold. The Extreme Cinema Podcast, available where all good podcasts are available.